Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 27. Uh, the series title has been called Lessons for Living. We're making our way through Luke and we're stopping along uh, several chapters along the way. I'm not sure exactly when we'll finish this, but probably through the entire summer we'll do this. And we've called it Lessons for Living. Today's lesson is going to be from Luke 9, 23 to 27, as we kind of do a part two from last week. But our lesson today is called Dying to Live. Dying to Live from Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 27. We'll spend most of our time in verse 23. Before we get to the text, of course, I'm going to do another top 10. I heard Joan really loves my top 10, so I think of Joan when I do these. <laughs> Yes, that's true, yes, which also helps, right? Uh, so I'm going to give you, uh, actually, let me ask you a question. Did you ever make a bad deal? Did you ever make a bad trade or transaction, something you wish you could take back? I have made several, and as I made my way through this top ten, I realized I'm not, very, I'm not a very bright person. I'm going to give you my top ten worst deals I've ever made, okay? And I'm sure there's way more than this. Once the brain got going, I realized there were lots of these. But I'm going to go in chronological order, okay, from, from youngest to oldest, and give you some of the bad deals that I've faced over the course of my life, okay? And these are in jest, okay? Don't take these too serious, but they are real. Uh, number 10, in fifth grade, yeah, it's already funny. In fifth grade, instead of asking for a bike for Christmas, I asked for a chemistry set. Anyone? Anyone ever want a chemistry set? That was a bad deal. That was the year I had no eyebrows. You've, you've had a chemistry set, Jerry? Yeah, how'd that go? Really? Okay, you must have known what you were doing, because I did. I watched MacGyver and then thought I was really good at chemistry, and I lost my eyebrows. Uh, long story short, so that was a bad deal. In seventh grade, number nine, I decided to play baseball instead of basketball. Sounds okay, right? Baseball instead of basketball, both good sports. I decided to take a break and play baseball instead. Well, that was a bad deal because I think I went two for 132 at the plate with 117 strikeouts, and I'm pretty sure I made 67 errors in the field. And I made my parents watch every ounce of it and cheer for me, even though I was really, really bad. That was a bad deal for you guys as well. That was brutal. I went back to basketball. Things got better after that. Number eight, when I was 13, I decided to become a Michigan Wolverines fan. Thanks for that, by the way. Yikes. That was a bad deal. <laughs> I've cried myself to sleep every night for 28, 28 years, so thank you for that, Michigan. Appreciate it. Number seven, when I was 16, I went to the dentist, and I was asked if I wanted mint-flavored fluoride. You guys ever get asked that question, do you want fluoride? She goes, do you want mint-flavored? I chose grape instead. That was a bad deal. Let's just say I left the dentist a present on the floor that day. Yeah, that was rough. Bad deal. Number six, when I was 17 on vacation at the beach with my family, you guys just went to the beach, I decided to stick my pasty white feet in the direct sun for 45 minutes to get a suntan. That was a bad deal because I couldn't put shoes on for a week, and my family still makes fun of me for that instance, so hurts my feelings. Um... That was a bad deal. Number five, when I was 22, fast forwarding here, when I was 22, I bought a pair of computer speakers with a check without checking my bank account first. That was a bad deal because I ended up bouncing that check. Some of you guys have heard this story. I ended up bouncing that check and proceeded to get a letter in the mail from the government summoning me to a money budgeting class. 
in Scranton for an in Scranton for an entire Saturday to help me learn my lesson about how not to bounce checks. And I'm dead serious. That actually happened. That was a bad deal. Those computer speakers were not worth that. An entire Saturday in Scranton. Uh, number four, in 2013, you guys have heard this as well, I was experiencing some chest pains. And instead of going to the doctor, I decided to Google my symptoms. How do you think that went? That was a bad deal. Google told me to fill out my will because I was a dead man. Thanks, Google. I didn't die, thankfully. Number three, in 2014, I moved my family from our apartment in Michigan to Pennsylvania and living with my parents for six months. That was a bad deal because my wife still suffers with night terrors. She'll just wake up going, in-laws! I'm just teasing. It's a joke. She does do that. But. Uh, bad deal number two. In 2015, I got rid of my BlackBerry and bought an iPhone. Never again. That was a bad deal. BlackBerry forever, hashtag. Uh, Number one, this is, this is a joke. Please don't take this serious. Number one, in 2018, I was asked to be the pastor of Wyoming Valley Church. That was a bad deal because of the stress of the job. I haven't seen my hair since. I'm joking, okay? These are jokes. Sometimes we make bad deals, bad transactions in life. Well, I have an extra one that's going to sort of transition us to our lesson today. And here's a bad deal, is living to die instead of dying to live. Living to die instead of dying to live. That would be a bad deal. If you have your Bibles, go to Luke 9. Let's read verses 23 to 27, and let's hear from the Lord Jesus about a deal, okay? A transaction that we need to make. He says in verse 23, He said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. That's the word of God. Last week we looked at part one of this passage and we called our lesson last week, True Living. We focused most of our attention on verses 24 to 27. We looked at the truth, we looked at the prophecy, and we looked at the reward of dying for the sake of Jesus Christ and God's will. We purposefully did not spend much time at verse 23 last week because we had planned to give it its own lesson. And so we are going to today. And conversely, we're not going to spend much time today on verses 24 to 27 because we spent an entire lesson last week doing that. So if you missed that lesson from last week, we strongly encourage you to go to our website, wyomingvalleychurch.org, and listen to the first part so you can put the two together and get a complete picture of what it means to follow Jesus in this life. And last week, although we spent a lot of time talking about death, the point was true living. And this week, although the topic is death, we will actually spend a good amount of time talking about eternal life. Dying to live is the lesson title today, dying to live. Now, I want you to know I love you all, okay? I love every single person in this room. And more importantly, the Lord loves you, okay? So today's messages 
and last week messages, although they aren't easy ones, they're the most loving gift that you can receive. And I mean that, okay? This lesson and last week's lesson are the most loving gift you can receive from your Lord. And Pastor Mel mentioned it. We've been going through a several-week series on Wednesday nights called How to Study the Bible at Church Family Time. And through that lesson, we've learned a lot of important tips and how-tos on how to study the Bible. And one of the things we reminded everyone, and we keep reminding you of, is to notice the context when you're studying the Scripture. Notice the context. Notice what is leading up to it. Notice what's said afterwards. Because when you notice the context, you will understand the entire picture. And last week, we did not notice the context, so we want to do it today. We want to notice the context. We want to notice the verses leading up to our verses because it's actually really important for what Jesus is about to tell us. So let's do that. Let's look at the context. Let's look at verses 21 and 22 that are the verses right before ours, and let's notice what Jesus said right before this, okay? It says in verse 21, and he strictly charged and commanded them and his disciples to, to tell this to nobody, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and on the third day to be raised. Jesus is about to tell us how to die, but more importantly, how to live forever. And the context for our sermon today comes on the heels of Jesus telling his disciples that he was going to die. And more importantly, how he was going to rise again to new life three days following his death. Look at the notice, the last phrase there. And on the third day, be raised. This relationship between life and death is all over the scriptures. As we mentioned last week, we will all die at least once in this life or the next. And we will all live at least once in this life or in the next. We can actually choose which life we want to live and which death we want to die. In fact, when we ask this question... Why did Jesus come to the earth? Isn't the best answer that he came to die? I mean, I've asked that question of my children several times, and that's the answer that pops right into their head. Jesus came to die. Isn't that exactly why Jesus came to this earth? His death and resurrection is the foundation for our hope. Now, yes, Jesus was going to rise again on the third day, and that is a glorified and foundational truth of the gospel. Absolutely crucial. But rising again is simply the result of dying. Jesus came to die. And the reason he came to die is because of our sins. Our sins is why Jesus came to die, because our sins were going to condemn us. And Jesus didn't want us to be condemned. We know John 3.16, one of the most famous verses in the entire Bible for a reason, but 3.17 is just as beautiful. Listen to what it says, John 3.17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Amen? Jesus came to die. So he stepped in our place and he died our death for our sins. Sins that were not his own. Sins that he did not commit. He died so that you and I could have life with him forever. That's what our Lord did. That's what we sing and celebrate here today. That's an important truth 
because of what Jesus is declaring to us here in our text. He's telling us that we need to follow him. And since Jesus died, we too must die. Only our death is the lesser of the two deaths between death on earth and death in hell. Jesus is actually calling us to the lesser death. He's telling us that we need to die temporarily on the earth so we can avoid eternal condemnation in hell and we can live eternally with him in heaven. Do you notice the point? Die temporarily so you might live eternally. So before Jesus commands those of us who desire to follow him to die, he tells us that we are first going to suffer in this life. Why? Because he did. He first suffered and died at the hands of his own Jewish people. But as we mentioned last week, nobody wants to talk about death. And I know that. And Jesus knows that. Nobody wants to talk about dying. We speak about death today because we have to appreciate eternal life. And unless you understand death, you won't appreciate eternal life. Eternal life won't be a big deal to you unless you understand that there is a death first. But if you bring death up, up at, if you bring death up at a party, you're going to immediately kill the party, aren't you? Nobody wants to talk about death. Nobody wants to talk about dying. And Jesus is the one who implanted the desire to live forever within us. He is the one that we get this appreciation for life from. He is the author. He is the sustainer. He is the giver of life. And Jesus is not the author, the sustainer, and the giver of death, is he? At all. He's the giver of life. And the reason we hate death and love life so much is because he created us that way. He created us to hate death and to love life. So Jesus is once again asking us and seeking to help us live forever and avoid death. Aren't you thankful that your Lord is doing that for you? The point today is not death. The point today is not death. The point last week is not death. The point is eternal life. Eternal life. And to prove this, Jesus told his disciples that three days after he died, he would rise again to new eternal life, never to die again, because death is not the point. Life, eternal life, is the point of all of this. And in our passage today, Jesus commands his disciples to follow him, to follow him into death, so they might come out on the other side into eternal life, just like our Lord Jesus did. Now, we've looked at this passage several times before, but I love what this passage says, and I want you to notice the language from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. This is Paul speaking, and listen to what he said. I'm going to put a portion on the screen, but I'm going to read the whole thing. It says in verse 5 of Philippians 2, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held onto. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, if there was a period there, and that's where it ended, that would be incredibly depressing, wouldn't it? But Paul goes on in verse 9, he says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, 
so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. According to Philippians 2, 5-11, Jesus lost everything that he had in heaven in order to come to earth. And then he died so that God could bestow on you and I eternal life. And so Jesus would one day be the highest of high, the greatest of greats, have the name above every name. He would be the most exalted person that there ever could be in heaven for all eternity. And since Jesus obeyed the will of God, he did lose everything temporarily. And he did suffer and die temporarily. But now he's alive forever, permanently, in heaven. And Paul says this, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, or it actually means to arm yourselves with the same thinking. Have the same mindset that your Lord had. Do what Jesus did, go where Jesus went, and listen to what Jesus says, because he went the right way. Because notice what happened to him. He died, but he rose again, and now he's exalted in heaven for the rest of eternity. Now, yes, as a Christian, you might lose everything on the earth, temporarily. And yes, you will suffer and die in this life, temporarily. But then God will bestow on you, just like he did his son, eternal life and exaltation. We will be exalted just like Jesus is. Because we followed his son's pattern and we sacrificed our life on earth for God's glory. See, God is going to pay back all those who sacrifice their life for his glory. The life we sacrifice in this life is for our Lord. Okay, and it's not for our salvation. We get our salvation free from God through Jesus. We sacrifice our life in this life for the Lord because he did the same for us. And so therefore, we define Christianity with a very simple phrase, following Jesus. Isn't that what we say? In Christianity, that's what we are to do. We are to follow Jesus because that actually means to follow what he did and follow what he said and follow the pattern that he left for us. That's what following Jesus means. Do what he did. Obey what he said. Go the direction that he went. In fact, TGD just read it. Let's look at this verse again. In 1 John 2, 5 to 6, John says this, By this we may know that we are in him. By this we may know that we believe him. By this we may know that we are a Christian. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Do you notice it? The very same footprints are the footprints we are to take in this life. Whatever Jesus left for us is the path we are supposed to go as well. So how can we say we follow Jesus if we never suffer? If we never die like he did? How can we expect to rise again to new eternal life if we never die like Jesus did? We are to follow him in everything. Whatever came to Jesus should come to us, both in this life and in the next. No, as we'll learn today, this does not mean that we need to be literally crucified on a cross like Jesus was. 
But if we expect to find eternal life like Jesus did and Jesus is experiencing right now, we must suffer and die like he did. No death, then no life. But we have to remember today, and I'm going to stress this as much as I can, death is not the point, okay? Death is a means to accomplish the glorified end. Death is the result of choosing sin over obedience to God. But we can avoid the greater of the two deaths by becoming righteous in the eyes of God by following his son, Jesus. But only, only if we follow his son, Jesus. Only if we suffer and die in this life for God's glory. This is the key to every blessing. Go the way Jesus went and get what Jesus got. Be where Jesus is. Live where Jesus is. Be with your Lord for the rest of eternity if you follow him now. See, God is seeking to give us the key to eternal life because he loves us. He doesn't want us going down beaten paths. He wants us to line up right behind his son and go the exact way Jesus went because it's the only right path there is. So this gives us the proper context for what Jesus says in verse 23. Let's look at this verse with the rest of our time, okay? Jesus says to his disciples, said to all, all those who were listening and following Jesus that day, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, before we look into what actually this verse means, I want to lay three foundations of the word of God before us all today that I believe are really important into keeping the proper foundation, or excuse me, the proper perspective. These foundations are essential to understanding this verse properly, okay? If we don't have these three foundations, we might see this truth incorrectly, we might reject what it's saying because we don't have these three foundations. And these three foundations come right out of the word of God. Foundation number one is God is seeking to give us life, not take it from us. That's very important to know, okay? Because the language, it could be twisted to think that perhaps God is seeking to take your life. I don't want you to listen to the deceptions of the devil today that God is somehow stealing your life and stealing your joy because nothing could be further from the truth. I hope all of us know by now that God loved to die for us on the cross. He has provided for and protected us our entire lives. God wants the best for us that is tried and tested. He wants us to live forever with him. It's exactly why he says what he says today. He's trying and seeking and striving to give us eternal life. This is about life and not death. That's an incredibly important foundation. Foundation number two is that God will always give back more than he demands that we give up. Because he's going to require that we give up something in this life. He is. But we need to know that God will always give back more than he requires that we give. So the dying that we must do is so temporary and it's so shallow when compared to the depths and the riches and the blessings of eternal life in the kingdom of God. If and when we sacrifice our lives for the Lord, he will certainly give us so much back in return out of the abundance of his riches. 
It actually is a prosperity gospel that we're talking about. Only the prosperity comes in eternity from God's riches. If you will yield your life over to Jesus Christ, God will break the dam of his riches. And you will experience every blessing you possibly could experience for the rest of eternity. So we're not losing by dying in this life. On the contrary, we're investing. That's what the word investment means. To give up now to gain something much greater later. Foundation number two is God will always give back more than he demands we give up. Foundation number three is that Jesus first did what he's commanding us to do. Jesus first did what he's commanding you and I to do. Jesus is asking us today, nothing, excuse me, nothing Jesus is asking, us, asking of us today is something he wasn't willing to do first. He only asks that we follow him. If he did it, we are to do it. And if he did not do it, neither do we have to. If he did do something, then he asks us to trust that what he's calling us to do is for our good. And today, right now, where is Jesus? He's on his throne at the right hand of God, exalted forever. And he's telling us that his way is the way. And it's the only way to eternal life. Go the way of Jesus. The path is tried and tested and it does as a guarantee lead to the kingdom of God. Those three foundations are very important for us understanding verse 23. If we understand those three foundations, then we can grasp that dying for Jesus in this life is the gateway to truly living in heaven for all eternity. And I hope you'll take those three foundations with you for the rest of our lesson today as we now discuss what does verse 23 mean. Let's look at uh, the verse again. Let's go back here. Verse 23 said, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. There are three simple steps. Three simple steps that come right out of the mouth of Jesus for what it means to live forever. Or we're going to call it today, dying to live. Okay? Let's simply look at these three steps and what they mean. And I want to, again, make sure we keep our three foundations fresh in our minds. Those three foundations are essential to understanding this properly. And before we do so, notice the language in verse 23. He said, if anyone would come after me. If anyone would come after me. Jesus is not presuming anything here. He says, if. If. If you look closely, there's almost a sense of counting the cost right in that one verse. Right in that one word. Let us not jump into this relationship with Jesus. Let us first consider if we really want this. If we're really ready to give what is necessary to gain eternal life by following Jesus. He says, if. This today is only for the serious Christian. Is that you today? Check your heart. Are you ready and are you willing to come after Jesus with your entire life? And if not, it's better to not come at all. Because the worst thing we can do is attempt to mock the Lord with part-time, lukewarm, non-committal love. That's the worst thing we can actually do. The harshest sentence at Judgment Day will be for people like that. The people that try to mock the Son of God. I want you to write down the verse somewhere on your paper. Hebrews chapter 10, 
verses 26 to 31. We don't have time to look at it today, but Hebrews 10, 26 to 31, in a nutshell, says, be very careful how you treat Jesus. Be very careful how you treat Jesus. He is the Son of God. And if we seek to mock him with part-time, lukewarm, non-committal love, we will actually find ourselves in the worst category of people. So we need to be careful about this relationship with Jesus. We don't fly into this without thinking. We consider what is required and can I and will I do it. So if we are ready to come after Jesus, let's look at our three steps today. Okay, Step number one, he says this. He says, let him deny himself. And I know that's kind of a funny picture I put up there. But I want you to notice the word deny. Deny. Do you guys remember that game in the arcade? Maybe you guys went, did you guys go to the arcade at the boardwalk? Do they still have one of these? Do you guys, anyone know what that game is called? Whack-a-mole. Whack-a-mole. I asked Janine and she goes, something about knocking gophers down? <laughs> or then she said they have the one with the alligators pop up, and she's right. It's also with alligators. But the game I'm thinking of is whack-a-mole. You guys remember the game whack-a-mole? And interestingly enough, I might be playing whack-a-mole later today. Do you know why that is? It is my little daughter's fourth birthday, Evie Grace, Evangeline. I know she's back there. I should have her out here. It's her fourth birthday, and she has dropped the line about Chuck E. Cheese. So we'll see if that actually happens. If I go, I will be thinking about this lesson, whack-a-mole. The word deny equates to knocking something down that pops up. That's what it means, in in a sense, in a nutshell. To knock down something that pops up. In Christianity, just because we're saved, it doesn't mean wrong desires won't pop up, right? In fact, unfortunately, for the rest of our lives, we will have a struggle inwardly between the old man, the one who was trained very well by the devil to get what we want out of this life, versus the new man who now desires to please Jesus with our lives. So the old man and the new man are going to be locked in a vicious tug of war until the end of our journey. Therefore, old man have whack-a-mole are going to pop up regularly along our journey. Old man's sinful desires will pop up along our journey. So when old man habits and desires pop up that don't align with the word of God, we are to deny them. Whack-a-mole. Because they're evil and they're selfish and they're not about eternal life. They're about this life. They're about sin. They're about us. The word deny, I looked up the word deny. I gave you sort of a short definition. Let me give you the actual definition. The word deny means to refuse to give or grant something requested or desired to someone. To refuse to give or grant something requested or desired to somebody. Uh, Parents know what the word deny means very well. It seems like all day long I'm just denying, denying, denying things that my children ask for because most of them are good for them. Only the someone in this verse, in this instance, is actually found right in the text. Jesus says, let him deny himself. There are two elements to the first step of following Jesus that are important. Number one, deny. Number two, himself. The thing that must be denied is us. Jesus could have said, deny sin, and that would have been right. That would have been good. That would have been true. We should all deny sin. That is obvious in the Christian race, hopefully by now. We are to deny sin. But Jesus didn't say that, did he? He said, deny himself. 
And we've just discovered one of the biggest hurdles to the Christian life. The, the, the Olympics are going on right now, and I watched the other day uh, part of the track and field, and they were running hurdles. Uh, it was kind of sad and because one of the girls actually fell and fell right into the hurdle, and uh, kind of sad, and she did finish the race. But it had me thinking about this, because one of the biggest hurdles to the Christian faith is ourselves, according to Jesus. And I want us to consider why. Why are we often our biggest hurdle or obstacle in the Christian race? Why? And I thought of a few that I'm just going to tell you today, and there's probably more than this. But why are we often the biggest hurdle to following Jesus? I believe number one, here's reason number one, why, the, why the, we're the biggest hurdle in the Christian race is because we enjoy having control. You see, in Christianity, there can only be one ruler. Only one can rule and reign, and we like having the control. I like having the control. In fact, even the primary reason I believe people don't come to Christ for salvation is because they enjoy control. They believe they can help themselves, and they, they don't need a savior. You ever heard someone say, I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps? Right? See, admitting that we need a savior means that we don't have control of our lives. And people will not easily admit that. And therefore, they won't yield control of their souls to another. And getting saved is the only the beginning of the Christian life. When we come to Jesus, the first thing he tells us to do is to yield control of our lives to him. This means that Jesus rules our lives, not us. He makes the rules. He makes the decisions. He chooses the path, not me. And Americans, I believe, especially have a real difficulty with that one because losing control means we aren't steering our ship anymore and we need to trust that the Lord knows better where to steer my life than I do. Number one reason we don't want to deny ourselves is we like control. Number two reason is we want to do what we want to do. Quite simply, I want to do what I want to do. And if I follow Jesus, he is going to decide what I get to do. And just beyond having control, I know what that means. I won't get to do some things that I enjoy doing. And I told you, children know this very well. Children want to eat candy and play and do dangerous things all day long. At least my kids do. Sorry, Head. Um, and as parents, we don't let them. So this means that children lose out on some of their happiness every day of their lives. But those are children, right? Certainly adults must be different than children. Certainly adults don't chase their earthly happiness at all costs. Certainly we're smarter than that, and we know that spiritual health is better than temporal happiness. Right, adults? And perhaps we don't. Perhaps we're just like children that way. We want to do what we want to do, no matter what it costs us. That's reason number two. Reason number three is when we're in charge... Whatever we accomplish in this life, we get the glory. We do. But if Jesus is in charge and we're following his decisions and his commandments, then whatever success we have in this life, the glory goes to him. And that's a problem because we like the glory. And the only pathway to my glory is to be my own ruler and to make my own decisions. Reason number three is we like the glory. Reason number four is we don't want to endanger or risk our earthly well-being. 
See, if Jesus is in charge, he might ask me to do something that is very scary or dangerous. And then our lives seem risky and open to harm. But if I'm in charge, I can say no to whatever I want. Anything scary, anything dangerous, anything that has risk, I can say no to. And therefore, I can keep and secure my life in this earth. Number four is we don't want to live with risk. Number five, we don't want to trade the tangible for the intangible. See, when I'm in charge of my life, I can experience tangible happiness, tangible prosperity. I can hold it today. I can see it. I can taste it. I can touch it right now. I can experience now happiness. But if I let Jesus rule my life, then I have to trust that blessings will come to me one day without seeing them and without holding them first. Does anybody really like reading reviews before they buy something? Anyone really? Yeah, I do that too, Beth. Before I buy something, I want to know how others are experiencing, how that's working out for them. Because I don't want to get surprised when a package shows up at my door. And sometimes that happens, right? You open up the box and you're like, what? It's nothing close to what I wanted. We don't want to trade the tangible for the intangible. Right now I have happiness, and if I trade my now happiness, I have to trust that promises and prosperity and happiness are coming my way without seeing them first. That's a vulnerability. So there's five reasons that we are our biggest hurdle. Jesus says this. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. When desires pop up to have control of our lives, when desires pop up to do what we want to do, when desires pop up to receive glory for ourselves, when our desires pop up to not take any risks, and when our desires pop up to hold on to what is tangible, Jesus says, deny them because I have something better. Whack-a-mole. I have something better than that. I know it's hard to believe, but whatever you're knocking down, I have something better. Much, much better. So deny them. Now the devil, he tells us all the time, it's quite tricky, quite ingenious of him, that we can do both. We can have both. Jesus can rule and we can rule. So Jesus will rule some of the times. I'll be a Sunday Christian and I will reign most of the time. And therefore he is our Lord, but we also get what we want out of this life. And it's the perfect system. It's the perfect deception. See, once again, this is a lie and a trap laid down by Satan to get us to miss out on actual eternal life by rejecting what Jesus said. And we custom make this Christianity and prove to ourselves, I got both. I got Jesus and I got the world. I got both put together. And what we're actually doing is we're rejecting what Jesus told us because he said, let him deny himself. That's step number one. We've got to move fast here. Step number two, Jesus says, and take up his cross daily. Now, the three steps of dying to live are in perfect order. I mean, of course they are because Jesus created them. If we're willing to deny, then we're willing to die. And no one can skip step one and accomplish step number two because Jesus made it impossible to do that. If you can't deny, then you certainly can't die. And if you can't die in this life, then you can't live forever in the next one. So these steps are crucial, okay? But what does it mean? What does it mean to take up his cross 
daily? I've had that question. What does that mean? And again, I believe the context is important because Jesus has just told his disciples that he was going to die and raise on the third day. And not only die, but be crucified. Jesus was going to face the cross. Now, crucifixion was a part of Roman culture, okay? It's possible, maybe even likely, that the disciples had known someone who had been crucified even up to that point. Or possibly had even seen one in person. Crucifixion was a much more severe version of the modern-day electric chair. And even though the electric chair is nowhere near as close to the same kind of public humiliation and suffering that the cross was, I want you to try to imagine if Jesus had said to 21st century American Christians, take up your electric chair and follow me. The picture in our minds would be clear. Jesus just told us to get ready to die. But I believe the cross symbolized something well beyond the, the electric chair because the electric chair was designed to be somewhat humane. And the cross was not. On the contrary, the cross meant complete opposite. It meant shame, torture, and death. And the electric chair just means death. And the general public today is not commonly invited to executions, are they? But back in the day, people were encouraged to go to executions. It was a nice little motivator to not break the law. Because if you saw someone get crucified, you most likely got on or remained on the straight and narrow so you didn't meet the same horrible fate. Also, the electric chair takes mere minutes to kill somebody, and the cross took days, except for Jesus. He had a very unique death, but the cross was meant to take days to kill people. It was a slow, torturous, agonizing death, and it was by far the worst way to die. And now Jesus tells us this. Take up your cross daily. Daily crucifixion? Really, Jesus? If denying ourselves didn't sound hard enough, this takes it to a whole new level. But again, what does he mean? What does Jesus mean by this? Because I've heard varying opinions on this. What does take up your cross daily mean? And I want to just consider a couple things. Perhaps it's literal. It's possible. It's possible that Jesus is literally saying, get ready to die. I mean, many historians believe that the Apostle Peter was crucified on an inverted cross as a martyr for his faith in Jesus. So Jesus could have meant that we might have to face literal crucifixion. But this is unlikely. And the reason it's unlikely is because crucifixion was removed from our modern-day capital punishment system. Crucifixion is no longer around, at least in our culture. However, Jesus could still be speaking about literal death. Is this what Jesus meant by take up your cross daily? Is it possible that he meant that we need to be ready to die at any moment for our faith? as a testament that we firmly believe who he is? And the answer is yes, it could be. It could be literal. We might face martyrdom for our faith in Jesus. It might happen. And we need to count the cost before so in case Jesus asks us to do that. Because we need to remain loyal to Jesus even in the face of death. So it's possible it's literal. It's possible. Number two, perhaps it's metaphorical. Perhaps Jesus meant we all have crosses to bear in this life. You guys ever heard someone say that? We all have crosses to bear. As if to say, I have struggles and you have struggles. We all have different struggles. Is that what Jesus is saying here? 
One person has a financial hardship, another person has a health hardship, another person has a relationship hardship, and those hardships are crosses. And we need to pick them up daily and continue following Jesus despite those hardships. Is that what he means? I'll say no on this one. Most likely not, because even hardships go to unbelievers, do they not? People who reject Jesus face hardships every day of their lives. And no one, especially Jesus, would consider unbelievers to be following him, even though they are facing daily hardships. So that one's unlikely to me. Number three is perhaps it's just an elaboration on deny himself. Jesus could just be saying that our desires have to die so that we can truly follow him. And it is possible that's what he meant. But I think that seems a little off still because Jesus doesn't waste any words. And this kind of seems redundant in the text. If we have just denied ourselves, then we have already picked up our cross because the two are the same. So I think this one seems unlikely, that he's just elaborating on denying himself. After some wrestling with this phrase, I believe that Jesus is telling us that denial is good, but it's not enough to properly follow him. Denial of ourselves in step one is essential, but dying is even more severe, a step beyond denial of our desires. Now, Jesus gives us a key word here to help us understand his meaning, okay? He says, take up his cross daily. I believe if he was talking about literal death, he might not use that word daily because no one can literally die every day, right? But every day we wake up with a choice of whom to serve. It's so ingrained in us to wake up and start our days by immediately making decisions based on how we feel or what we need, right? So in a sense, every day we become the Lord of our own lives. Every day I wake up and I just jump to decisions and I start making decisions based on what I want and what I need. So step one in this relationship is to deny my plan for my own life and listen to and obey his plan for my life. But daily picking up the cross means this is going to be a constant battle that I'm going to face every single day of my life between going the way that I want to go versus letting the Lord have full reign of my life. But again, Jesus doesn't say, again, I say, deny yourself. He says, pick up your cross daily. In other words, every single day when we wake up and we begin to walk over to the throne of our own lives and begin to sit down on that throne, Jesus says, no, instead grab your cross and walk up the path of Calvary. And metaphorically lay that person on the cross so that Jesus can fully reign in your life. Because Jesus doesn't want any rivals. Do you know that? He doesn't want any rivals. And I believe this is at the heart and the spirit of what he's saying. See, back in the day when someone would have said, pick up your cross, a dozen images would flood your mind of what it means to be crucified. And they would have realized for certain that Jesus meant that he was to have no rivals in the Christian life when and if rivals pop up and most often those rivals are our, ourselves excuse me and not gods and idols and golden statues most often it's myself that pops up as a rival then I need to do the hard work of killing that person's agenda in my life so Jesus can reign with full authority with no rivals because he will not share his throne with anybody he is the son of God 
So it's likely that Jesus is telling us that we need to wake up every morning with a renewed commitment to him, a commitment that goes so far as to lay ourselves on the cross in contrast to our devotion to Jesus. It's similar to another passage Jesus mentioned in Luke 14. Do you remember this one? Another one that's kind of hard to hear. He says in Luke 14, a few chapters later, if anyone comes after me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. But the point of that passage is not hatred of anybody, is it? The point of that passage is to have no rivals for Jesus. He is to get 100% of us. So to make this even more practical, let's consider what this would look like in a modern-day culture that we live in. What does it look like to pick up our cross daily as Americans? I'm going to give you five things very quickly that I believe this looks like in a modern-day culture. How to pick up your cross daily as an American Christian. Number one, <coughs> calibrate our minds to Jesus every morning. Every morning. This is why we say every morning, discipline yourselves to open the scriptures and recall that Jesus is the Lord of your life. Every morning. Every morning, because every morning Todd wakes up and Todd says, I'm my own Lord. And then I go to the scriptures and I'm reminded that Jesus is the Lord. So every morning I need to calibrate my mind to Jesus. Number two, I need to seek the Lord. I need to seek his will and I need to seek his help every day. Lord, what is your will? And Lord, I need help to get there. I am not capable of this on my own strength. I need your help. Seek him in this process and he will help you. He loves to help you. Number three is be on the lookout for selfishness and then deny all temptations in that direction because selfishness is the complete opposite direction of following Jesus. Selfishness is the way to eternal death. And we have to follow Jesus unto eternal life. So we got to look out for selfishness. Watch out for it. See if it pops up. And when it does, whack-a-mole. Knock it down. Number four, we need to go on the offense for knowing and obeying the will of the Lord. Have you ever noticed that you don't fall backwards into obedience? I notice that with myself. I notice that with my children. I, I often do not fall backwards into obedience. I fall backwards into sin. I fall backwards into bad habits. Obedience has to be seized. It has to be taken hold of. It has to be grabbed a hold of very tightly. So in order to go on the offense for obedience, I have to look for opportunities to obey. I have to think and premeditate my life in order to obey, to say, Lord, my life is yours. Show me where I can obey you today. Give me opportunities. And in that sense, I go on the offense. And number five, and this one's important, stay near Christ-like influences. I hope you guys know by now that whoever you hang out with the most will influence you the most. So therefore, we need to stay around Christ-like influences and beware of anything worldly or dangerous that could harm my ability to go the way of Jesus. Who do you spend your time with? Who do you spend your time with? We need to have nothing dragging us down in this life. And once we deny ourselves, and once we pick up our cross daily, and I know those two things are difficult, but they're essential, now we're ready to follow Jesus. 
because we're out of the way. Our desires are out of the way. And now Jesus and his commandments can be fully realized because I have time, I have focus, I have attention, I have energy to give to Jesus. And when I'm in the way, I don't. But when I remove myself from the equation, I could fully look at Jesus and his commandments. And that's when Jesus says this. And follow me. And follow me. Yes, following Jesus also takes work. We have to labor to know how he lived and what he taught us. We have to educate ourselves. How did Jesus live? What did Jesus say? And denying ourselves and picking up our cross daily won't accomplish anything if we don't know and obey the Lord's commandments. I want you to remember that self-denial and cross-carrying is not the point. It's not the point. To just deny yourself and just to die every day is not the point. The point is to follow our Lord Jesus. But without denial and without dying, I cannot follow him properly. The term following Jesus gets thrown, a lot, thrown around a lot in Christian circles, doesn't it? But the actual following of Jesus seems to be scarce today. We like the idea of following Jesus, but not actually following him. We'd rather go to church than be the church. We'd rather thank him for dying for us than dying for him. We'd rather confess to be sinners than strive to be obedient. We would rather gain blessings from the Lord than sacrifice blessings for the Lord. We would rather get convicted by a sermon than do what the sermon tells us. We would rather memorize scripture than obey it. We would rather applaud Jesus for obeying the Father and his will versus obeying the Father and his will. We would rather use the term following Jesus versus actually following Jesus. But guys, unless we follow Jesus, it doesn't matter. None of it matters. See, self-denial without following Jesus is just like Buddhism. Deny yourself pleasure. It's just like Buddhism. Cross-carrying without following Jesus is just like being Amish. But self-denial and cross-carrying so that we can follow and obey Jesus, that is Christianity. And that is the path to eternal life. If we know, remember, and obey the commandments of Jesus, we will be following Jesus and we will be on the proper path to heaven. And I'm going to give you a hint. If you're wondering what commandments, what's he talking about, where do I find these, here's a hint. Write this down. They're found in Matthew 5 through 7. Now, they're found in all of the Word of God. Of course they are. But if you want to really know what Jesus wants from your life, go to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7 and make camp. Sit there, read it, read it again, study it, write notes, think about it, and you will learn exactly what Jesus wants from your life. So let us remember that dying in this life is the gateway to eternal life. He's not seeking to steal our lives. He's seeking to give us better lives with him. And the Lord will always give back more than he requires that we give up. And whatever Jesus demands and commands that we do, he did it first. And he will go with us and before us in all matters of God's will. Because he loves us immensely. 
And I hope that you know that and see that. So even more simply today, let's ask a few questions before we close. The simple questions for all of us today, myself included, are these. Do we understand what dying today looks like? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. Hopefully you understand what it means. Number two, do you understand that dying for Jesus is the gateway to eternal life? No one enters life without first dying for God through Jesus. Number three, do we understand that self-denial and cross-carrying are essential to following Jesus? They are. We can't skip those two steps. We can't follow Jesus if we don't deny and we don't die. But number four, Do we understand that obedience to Jesus is the point? Obedience to Jesus and his commandments is the point of self-denial and it's the point of cross-carrying, following Jesus. And if so, are you dying to live today? Are you dying to live today? Jesus will help you in this process. He longs to help you in this process. He wants life for you more than you want it for yourself. But we are the ones that must commit ourselves to Jesus. He will not do that for us. And his plan for us in this process is life. Life. Without our commitment, the entire train will derail. We must follow Jesus. And if you can grasp this today, and I believe that you can, believe that you can understand what Jesus is saying, then perhaps we can sing like the old hymnist sang, All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him, in his presence daily live, I surrender all. Are you or will you begin dying to live? And if you have any questions or any confusion or want to talk about this further, we are available to you. Come make a meeting with myself or Pastor Mel or anyone that you trust in the Christian race so that we can discuss further what it means to live forever with God. The whole point of this is eternal life. Our God, our Lord, is in heaven right now and he's beckoning us to follow him that very way. Can we pray? Father, I hope and pray that we lay the truth properly today, that we understand quite clearly what you desire, what you demand, and what you're trying to offer us. You're not trying to steal anything from us, Father, on the certain, on the, on the contrary, excuse me. You're trying to give us life, abundant, eternal life with you forever, where there's no pain, no sadness, no darkness, no enemies, no sickness, and no death. Father, but in order to experience that, we need to understand what you've told us today. We need to line up right behind the Lord Jesus. Sacrifice our life now for his sake so that one day we will experience what he is now experiencing. And we also need to understand that he will be with us and you will be with us every step of the way. We don't go alone. You and all your power and all your grace goes with us. Help us understand that today, Father. Touch the souls here to follow you for the first time or maybe even better than we have up to this point. Because of Jesus and for Jesus, it's in his precious name we pray. Amen.